and welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so much for tapping in today. Whether it's your first time listening, you've listened to every episode or somewhere in between, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to us today. In today's episode, we are going to cover Seven Wonders Duel and its two expansions. We're going to go over what we think an essential expansion is, and we will give you five of our top picks for most essential expansions. And we are going to intentionally pick ones that aren't all over the interwebs when you look up most essential expansions. Just wanted to start off by saying two things, a sorry and a thank you. The sorry is just for our irregular output the last couple weeks. I'm happy to report that last week I was finally able to turn in my graduate thesis, which feels like, whew, such a heavy weight taken off of my shoulders. With that done, we should get back to what we were up to beforehand, giving you some hopefully good content. As we said before, we are experimenting with some new stuff, and today's episode will be no different. Today's discussion will be in two halves, the Seven Wonders Duel half and the Essential Expansion half. The Seven Wonders Duel half will be a podcast exclusive. However, the second half you can either hear just by continuing listening to this episode, or it will be available on our YouTube channel. It's just going back to something we talked about a few episodes ago, where we've had people writing in hoping for some more overlap between our content in the two mediums. The thank you is for last month's new coffee members. Thank you to our newest senpais, Salrul13, and Tigers for becoming coffee members. This is my one monthly reminder that you can also become a coffee subscriber. We'll leave a link to it below, which will give you a bonus episode every month and allow you to vote on what's coming next. The choice was decided for July, and one of the games we will be covering, as voted on by the coffee subscribers, is My Best Chef, a game about running a restaurant by Smart Ape Games. Of course, it is not mandatory, but we don't want to take money from companies for our work to remain as unbiased as possible. So we are able to buy more games thanks to your contributions. Alright, now that that's out of the way, and I'm almost one page into the script, let's actually get into the discussion for today, starting with Seven Wonders Duel. Seven Wonders Duel is a well-loved game from 2015 that is a two-player only game. It currently sits on BGG as the 18th best game of all time, even higher than its already very successful older sibling, Seven Wonders. In Seven Wonders Duel, there is a pyramid of cards that you'll make for each age, age 1, age 2, and age 3. The rows of cards that make up this pyramid alternate between rows of cards face up and rows of cards face down, so you can somewhat see what is coming up, but not entirely. Age 1 starts off with cards that are cheaper and allow you to build cards later in the game, like wood, glass, and sometimes just money to get your economy going. There are also economy cards that allow you to buy items you don't have for cheaper, science cards, and military cards. If you've played Seven Wonders, this will sound very familiar. You'll take turns picking a card from this pyramid that are uncovered, meaning they have no cards on top of them, until the cards run out, then set up for the next age, do it again, and then do it a final time in age 3. That is, if you get there. Because in Seven Wonders Duel, there are three ways to win. The main way is, as I said above, you get to the end of age 3. You'll count up your points from your cards and your wonders, and whoever has the most points wins. Yes, I didn't forget about those seven wonders. At the beginning of the game, you'll take turns picking four wonders each. These wonders have amazing powers that can help you during the game, but there can only be seven wonders, and yet there's eight cards chosen, meaning you'll have to figure out how quickly to build those wonders before your opponent can complete all of theirs. Okay, so yeah, main way, most points. But there are two ways to win that end the game immediately. One way is the science victory. You can achieve this by collecting six different science tokens. Whenever you collect the sixth, you win. Game over. The other early endgame condition is military. On the sideboard, there is a military track that works like tug-of-war. There are cards in the pyramid that have shields on them, and the number of shields there are is the number of spots on the track you can move the token towards your opponent. As you push it closer to them, they also lose coins, which can be devastating. 
If you get it completely to their side, you get a military victory. Game over immediately. There are a couple little things here and there, but that's the main gist of Seven Wonders Duel. I remember playing this game for the first time. It was when I was getting into board games for the first time, and it was my first non-abstract two-player-only game. It was introduced to me after I had enjoyed Seven Wonders, so I was expecting much the same game, and while the iconography was similar, and hence easy to learn, I was taken aback how it really just felt like it rhymed with Seven Wonders, not simply replicating it for two players. It felt tenser, each decision felt more important, and by only having to focus on what one other person was doing, it felt important to keep track of them at all times. How was their science? Military? Wait, they have a lot of blue point cards, that's not good. Wait, they've already built half of their wonders, and I haven't even built one yet. Oh boy. And yet, all of these things to think about don't feel overwhelming. There's a simplicity to it. Like an Ikea manual. There's a lot going on, and none of it feels especially difficult. And yet, why can I not do this properly? You'll feel like that as you're constantly, for the lack of a better word, dueling your opponent, waiting for them to tip their hand as to what their strategy is. Where are they going? What are they trying to do? It's an attack and offense game in a strange way. If you see them start to get some science tokens, you have to stop your plans in order to stop them amassing six of them. If they're hitting you hard militarily, you need to back them up. And if neither of you are necessarily in a positional advantage in these two categories, once age three starts and the inevitability of the point victory is upon you, the tenseness of that third age as you try to figure out moves ahead, okay, if I take this card, that might leave them a military or a science, but that's okay because I can see that big point card up ahead. But you're both thinking that. And there's cards neither of you want, but someone has to take it. You've built your wonders, you've built your economies, and now let's see how well you prepared. I was enthralled with this base game. It was one of my first board game purchases in my first wave of board game interest. Then I lost interest in games for a couple years due to life, and then got back to them. And again, it was a game I purchased as I was starting my new collection. But this voice kind of lingered a bit, and I couldn't tell if it was good or bad. It was the idea that plays were forced a lot of times. You would be able to force your opponent into doing something they didn't want, or force them to give the game to you. And I'm not knocking that, that's a viable strategy. But there would be some times where it would happen because of luck, like I had no choice but to lose, or give the opponent exactly what they wanted because of factors outside of my control. The other thing that, again, I'm not sure if I land on it as a good or bad thing, is that you can straight up figure out what the next three, four, five turns are. I will take that card, then they'll take that card, then I'll take that card, then they'll get that. It's weird for a game for which, because of face-down cards, there's supposed to be some mystery there. Neither one of these are straight-up complaints. They're just the parts of the game that give me pause, the reason it sat as a good game for me and not great. But that's where we get into the Pantheon expansion. Right away, you can tell that some of this must have been lurking in the minds of the designers because it came out a year after Seven Wonders Duel, the base game. Only a year. What Pantheon adds is, well, a Pantheon board, and that will be filled with gods. I like breaking down this expansion into two unique concepts, the god board and cards, and the bonuses. When setting up the first stage, you'll put little god chips on some of the cards that are face down. If you are the one that uncovers this card, you get to draw the top two cards from the designated god deck. The god decks are mostly the same colors as the normal cards, green for science, red for military, etc. Then you can put it somewhere on the board. The closer your side on the board it is, the cheaper it is for you, and the more expensive it is for your opponent. Starting in age 2, instead of taking a card from the pyramid, you can take a god card. It gives you a way out when you don't want to be forced to play something. Now there are also the bonuses that come into play, to give you a little bonus for being the one to uncover cards. Even if you don't want to, you get to keep the chip of the guard, decide where the gods go, as I explained, but also starting at age 2, you get discounts on the god cards. This can give you a prayer at getting gods that seemed unreachable to you. 
Neither of these are difficult to understand. There are some new cards and wonders that relate to the new gods, but for the most part, there's nothing hard to learn here. It feels like an expansion that was a part of the game the whole time. An expansion that just makes sense. And I think what it does is quiet those not-quite-concerns and not-quite-loving-it thoughts I had with just the base game. Now there was an out for someone who felt forced into a play that happened because of luck. Now there was a reason why someone might want to uncover cards, even though it might help their opponent. This expansion just makes the best parts of Seven Wonders Duel feel more prevalent, make more sense. I can't quite put my finger on why, but I feel better about my wins when playing with Pantheon. It feels like I earned it. Even though they had ways out, they had gods, they had bonuses, they still couldn't stop my strategic brilliance at that game. And I think the well-roundedness of the game is also more apparent in how long the game feels tense for. With the base game, I would go about it more lackadaisical until age 3, but with Pantheon, each age has important decisions that can be the turning point of the game. You can look back at the end state and point to a bad decision you made, or the decision that changed the game in your favor. Even in age 1, you can say something like, ah, when I saw you put the green god towards me, I knew you weren't going for science, so I went for it. Things like that. I think this is why it has been so universally seen as an essential expansion, and it's what inspired us to make this list today, that we will get to later in the episode. I refuse to play Seven Wonders Duel without it. Now, saying that, let's get to the other expansion, Agora. Is this worth adding in as well? Something that Sam mentioned in our Top 10 Two-Player Games Marathon episode a couple weeks ago. Let's start with what Agora is. Agora adds senators, conspiracies, and a new win condition, all on another sideboard. You'll add in the expansion cards to the pyramid and a couple relevant wonders and off you go. The sideboard has three areas broken down into six total sections. So there's two sections in the left, two sections in the right, and two in the middle. By picking certain cards from the pyramid, you'll be able to put your senators in one of the three areas, and you can choose which of the two sections in that area to put the senator cube. If you have more than your opponent in that section, you take control of it and get the control bonus for that section. Here's where the win condition comes in. If you have control of all six sections, you immediately win. The other addition is the conspiracy cards. These are powerful cards that can do a variety of things like take away someone's cards or add to your military. However, there's a catch, as all good conspirators know. It takes preparation. You'll have to take a card from the pyramid and put it under the conspiracy. Only then can you, on a future turn, do the conspiracy. So it's a multi-turn process, something that can be vital in the middle or end game. These conspiracies and senators make up the Agora expansion. Now, I think it's important to understand where this expansion comes from. It came out in 2020, a full five years after the original base game, meaning that it seemingly was never a part of the base game and is truly an expansion. What I mean by that is, while Pantheon feels like almost a patch to use video game terms, something that tinkers with the base game slightly to help round things out, it added a tiny mechanism that doesn't impede on things you already knew how to do. It just made everything make sense. Okay, maybe that's not really a patch, but you get my drift. It wouldn't astonish me if I heard in the future that Pantheon was a part of the original game and it got cut to serve as an expansion, or the publisher thought it was too much for the base game. Wouldn't surprise me at all. However, Agora feels like its own thing, something that came down the line to give a little something to players that already enjoyed the game, something that wasn't meant to fix the game at all, but simply to add to it. It expands it. It doesn't just give you more choice, it gives you a whole new way to play. The Senators are cool, giving you little bonuses along the way that can change up the game for you, like making wonders cheaper or giving you access to any chains your opponent has. It adds a bit of area control, something I wasn't expecting to be added to Seven Wonders Duel. But it can be a bit much, just a warning. Unlike Pantheon, it'll take a game or two to really get how everything works and how it should be included in your strategy. Adding a fourth win condition also adds to the mental workload, which might, for some, put it over the edge. 
Saying that, though, I think Agora really is a good expansion. For someone like me who has played lots of games of this, it adds a welcome bit of spice to the game, a new way of approaching a puzzle that I'd come to so many times before. Not only that, it can mess up a meta you have established with the same person, resetting your anticipatory thoughts of what your opponent is going for. They can zig when you zag, or zog when you zig, or zag when you zug. I, I have no idea if that's a real expression. I was pleasantly surprised by it, actually giving it a first impression 7, but then like it more as I played, to the point that I now run about 50-50 with or without it, which for an expansion is a high amount for me. And that is the final point I want to make in comparison between Pantheon and Agora. Whereas Pantheon felt like a fix, Agora is for the people who already like the game. It's kind of like No Man's Sky, another video game reference, I'm sorry. No Man's Sky was trashed by reviews upon release, to the point that many didn't like it and vowed to never come back. Slowly but surely, they added little things to the point that people who didn't like the original version came back and liked the new version. That's what Pantheon feels like to me. It addressed the concerns of people, and for me, is the same as No Man's Sky, an expansion that adds so much value to the game that if you tried the base game and didn't like it, I would try it again with the Pantheon expansion, which you can do on Board Game Arena. It is an essential expansion, a game that I would never play base game without again. It feels like the more modern, better game, and why would I go back to the pre-update version? On the other hand, Agora is the DLC for it, the expansion pass for Pokemon and Zelda that adds side missions to the game. If you didn't like the base game, this isn't going to change your mind. But if you like or love the game, this is going to give you something more to bring the game to the table more. It'll breathe fresh air into a game that maybe you burnt out on. The additions feel enough to give you reason to try it again and think about it in a different way. And that's Seven Wonders Duel and its expansions Pantheon and Agora, all are designed by Bruno Catala and Antoine Bauza with art by Miguel Coimbra and published by Repost Productions. The Pantheon expansion also has art by Antonio Desi and has art credits for Bauza and Catala. And now, let's get to the second half of the podcast, Essential Expansions. And I think a good place to start is what is an essential expansion? What makes an expansion good versus great versus essential? For us, and remember that these are generalities, these aren't set in stone or anything, but for us, a good expansion is an expansion that is good. We like playing with it, but we could take it or leave it. If you want to play with it, great. If you want to play without it, that's fine too. Whatever. And I think a good example of this is Seven Wonders Duel Agora. In fact, the podcast episode where we review Seven Wonders Duel Agora and Pantheon is the inspiration behind today's episode. Seven Wonders Duel Agora does add a little bit of spice to it. It gives a little bit of a freshening up after I've played it so many times, but I don't really need to play with it at all. I am perfectly happy playing it just Seven Wonders Duel and Pantheon. A great expansion is an expansion that I would absolutely prefer to play it with. If you asked me to play it, I would say, yes, can we please play with the expansion? But if you don't have it, then I'll at least still play the base game. I think another way an expansion might be great is that it's needed only after I've played it so many times that I've burnt out on the original. I think that that is a great expansion. A great example of a great expansion would be Food Chain Magnet, the catch-up mechanism. It is a is an expansion that for people who have played the game so many times that they are familiar with the openings of the guru and the waitress strategy and how to counter them. I mean, they've done it so many times that they're just kind of, okay, we get that the first 10 turns are going to kind of be the same in every game. If you're to that point with Fuji Magnet, then the kitchen mechanism is great because it adds in modules that change different milestones and change the different dynamics around so that you're almost playing a brand new game. 
it's not really essential for everyone. It's not really needed for everyone. I will play Food Chain Magnet, just the base game, and so therefore it is just a great expansion, which it's still pretty good. So what makes an essential expansion? Well, what makes an essential expansion is that I refuse to play the base game without it. It's, it could be because the base game is bad and the expansion makes it good or great. It might turn a good game to an amazing game, or it might just fix fundamental issues with the game that left me not wanting to play the game in the first place. These are games in which I can say with the expansion is the best possible way for you to play this game. And once you play with the expansion, you will never go back. So why would you just start with the less perfect version that might turn you off from the game in the first place? Now, our goal in today's video is not to rehash and repeat the same games that when you type in most essential board game expansions on YouTube that you'll see on tens of lists. We don't really want to do that. But at the same time, if you are new to board games or new to thinking about adding board games to your collection, we don't want to leave out those games altogether. So I do just want to give you a few that are pretty universally accepted as essential expansions that won't be on our list. The first one being Terraforming Mars, the Prelude expansion. The Prelude expansion makes an overly long game a little bit less overly long, and it and it makes it, and it does that by giving each player an asymmetric company that is really good at doing something. It also does it by giving you starting resources that you will be playing a that you will get to draft from and start playing so that your economy just gets going faster. It speeds up. It basically eliminates the first half an hour of what the base game does so that you're already starting off at the fun part of the game. Plus, any time that you can take a half an hour off of a two to three hour long game is great in my book. The next expansion that is pretty universally seen as essential, in fact, it has an essential addition, is the Tuscany expansion for Viticulture. Now, Viticulture by itself is already a decent game. It's a good game that is quite liked by a lot of people, but it is pretty universally accepted that Tuscany adds in so much good to this game as to why would you ever play without it. But it also gives you special workers that you can hire that do special things like allowing you to go back in time. So like if it's in the winter and you really need something in the summer, there are special workers that allow you to do that. Or there's certain structures that allow you to be better at certain things as well. It also adds a little bit of area control to the side as well. So there's a nice little mini game that you're playing over here that can also help you get resources. It just adds to the overall feeling of the game, the overall thematic elements of the game to make it feel better. Although hmm, that time traveling one... Maybe that wasn't the best example, though, because that's not really accurate, huh? The next one that we'll talk about is King of Tokyo Power Up. And what this does is, in base King of Tokyo, every monster is basically the same. You were just picking it based on what looks it had. Like, for me, I always picked Cyber Kitty. But what Power Up does is it gives each monster a distinct and asymmetric power set. And you'll actually activate these by rolling three hearts on your turn, giving you another reason that even when you're full on health, you might want to roll some hearts instead of points or attack. The Mecha Raptor, for example, is really good at attacking, and the Panda is more of a pacifist that gets bonuses if you don't attack other people on your turn. It gives you a different way of playing based on which monster you are, as well as just making each part of the game stand out just a little bit more. 
The next one is actually for a game that I've never played, so I will leave a link to a video review for it, but it is Champions of Midgard Valhalla. This is apparently an essential expansion because when your warriors die, usually in the base game, they just add nothing. It's kind of a waste, but in the Valhalla expansion, there are things that you can do with it that gets you points that actually make going into battle a little bit more worth it, worth the risk for your warriors. But again, I've never played it. It's just kind of what I've heard from it, so I will leave a link to somebody who knows more about it. The next one is Ticket to Ride 1910 expansion. And it's kind of weird because the reason that I've heard the most often of why this expansion is the most essential is because it actually just makes the cards bigger. In the original Ticket to Ride, the cards are so small that you that it just doesn't really feel very good. They're, I think they're mini Euro size, which doesn't really match with the rest of the game. But with 1910, it makes the cards bigger, which is easier to read, but it also gives you more variety. So if you're looking for something like that, and I think it's a very, very small expansion. I think I've seen it in just like a little, um, like almost like a tuck box. So it, it's, it's a small expansion, but for a lot of people, it is well worth it. And the, for, finally, the last one that is pretty universally praised as an essential expansion is the Terra Incognito expansion for Civilization A New Dawn. The Terra Incognito expansion actually turns this game into a civilization game because it allows you to go explore, it changes up the combat mechanism and the different armies, and gives you districts. The most frequent comment that I would, that I see online for this one is that it turns a game that was maybe a 5 or a 6 for a lot of people to an 8 or a 9. Turns this game into something that was disappointing to a staple and maybe their favorite Civilization game. And that, for me, is exactly what an Essential Expansion is supposed to do. So now, let's get into 5 that we think aren't talked about enough, but for us, definitely fit as an essential expansion. So let's start with the first one. And the first one is Wingspan Oceania. This is probably the most popular of our picks today. The first thing that Oceania adds to the base wingspan is a new player board. And these are really important because they change the values of how much you need to um, make eggs or to draw new cards. And this is, it rebalances it out so that you can't just go and spam eggs the whole game. Ooh, spamming eggs. Now I want that for breakfast. Anyway, of course, it also adds new bird cards, but it also adds nectar. And that is the second thing other than the player boards that I think make this game actually essential. Nectar has two things. First of all, it acts as a wild. So meaning you can use it for anything, but you have to use it in the round that you got it, meaning that you need to really use it. And you definitely want to, because the second thing is you get points for if you used more than your opponents. So then you want to use the top row so that you can get the nectar and then you can use the nectar to get more birds so that you can do whatever the birds do, but then also you get the points based on the nectar. It makes the other things that you're doing on this board, other than the eggs, much more viable. Even when I'm not playing with the birds from Oceania, I'm almost always using the player boards, which by itself makes this game an essential because it helps fix a problem that a lot of people had with the base game. The next two expansions I want to talk about together because mechanically they are very different, but the additional feeling that they gave me is the same. And that is the Nightfall expansion for Parks and the Bad News Bears expansion for Baron Park. Now, Nightfall adds two key things to the Parks base game. One, goals that are just a lot better, a lot more viable. The base game has things like, well, if you get six trees on your cards and five pictures, then you get two points. Why would I ever spend, like, the opportunity cost was much too high for those. Well, it shifts these because now the goals are more like for, you get one point for every two suns that you have on your card. And that just seems a lot more interesting, a lot more like I'm going to try to pursue that to make as many points as I can for that goal. The second thing it adds is the campground mechanism. 
And what you'll do is on certain spots on the trail, you'll put these little campground tokens on. When you land on one of those spots, you'll get to choose whether you go on the trail or whether you go on the campground. And the campground has some really cool stuff, like you can turn one tree into four water or turn one mountain into three suns or something like that. It can altogether help you out when somebody blocked you and somewhere else on the trail. It gives you kind of an out, but it also gives you more of a choice because a lot of the times they'll land on a spot that you really want that trail spot. Do I really want to have three suns over one mountain? Maybe I need an additional mountain. But then if I don't choose this, I know that other person needs a lot of rain, so a lot of water. But if I don't choose that, then probably somebody else is going to get it. So it gives you more to think about. It gives you more choice, and it makes it so that the game doesn't feel so stagnant all the time. The Bad News Bears expansion for Baron Park also gives you a bit more choice, as first of all, it adds in the Grizzly Pen. Grizzlies are these huge pens that'll help get your board filled much quicker, which by the way, you would need to fill up five instead of four. But the trick is that you have to turn in a green and a white tile, the white tiles being very, very useful for their shapes. So yes, you're going to get these grizzly pens. You're making a decision to go, yes, you're getting these big grizzly pens that fill up your park so quickly. But at the same time, you're having these little one and two greens that you have to kind of like fill in these little gaps of that are so annoying and so tedious. But that was your choice. The other thing that this adds is the monorail system, which actually just makes this game just look a lot cooler because they are they go over the board. So when you play down a green tile, you'll put down the scaffolding. And then if you play another green tile exactly three spots apart, then you'll put down the other scaffolding and put a monorail down. These monorails are worth descending amounts of points like the bear statues in the base game. And so it just adds a nice little, not only just a visual touch to the game, it gives you a reason to go after the green tiles a lot more and a lot quicker which just helps balance out the game, I think, a little bit. But what both of these expansions do that make them essential in our opinions is that they turn a game that was just good for maybe introducing people to games or just something that we wanted to play with people who are new to gaming and then we'd kind of put them back on the shelves and kind of keep away from them for a bit, is they made it so that we just want to play these games in general. Whether you are familiar with games or new to games or whether it's just us, we want to now play both of these games. We are brought back to them. We want to get them off the shelves more. And that is exactly what an expansion should do. Both of these games sat at kind of a six and a half, seven for us originally, but now they're at eights or an 8.5. Instead of games that are just good gateway games, they are games that are just in general good. And that to me is what makes these expansions essential. So only two more. And the first one I want to talk about is for a party game, which feels weird saying that an expansion for a party game is essential, but I think this one is. And this is Deception Murder in Hong Kong, Undercover Allies. Now, there is a non-essential part of this, which is the additional means cards. I mean, it's always nice to have when you play the game a lot, but you don't really need it. But what makes this expansion absolutely essential is that it allows you to almost shift the difficulty for the investigators and the murderers based on your group and who is winning more often. It's the shift system before the shift system from Mind MGM. If the investigators are winning too much, then you can add roles in to make it easier for the murderers or get rid of some from the investigators or turn or putting or put more of the events that make it harder for the investigators in there. If it's too hard for the investigators, you can add in allies that'll make it easier for them. 
what this does is it allows you to tailor this great game to any game group that you have because that's what happens with these social deduction games i find a lot of people say oh this one is way too easy for the investigators or, oh this one is way too easy for the murderers here but different groups aren't exactly the same on those things and what undercover allies does is it allows you to not only tailor to one particular game group but to tailor to every single game group Maybe some of the roles feel more like werewolf than what you would expect to find in a game that is supposed to be about police officers and murderers. But to me, I couldn't even tell you what roles were the expansion roles and what roles were the regular roles because they all fit in so seamlessly together that I can't imagine ever wanting to play Deception Murder in Hong Kong without it because it just all fits together and it probably should have just been one game anyway. Before we get to our last one, I did just want to mention one really briefly because it's only essential if you play it at certain player counts and some people, if they back the Kickstarter, already have it, and that is Smartphone Inc. Status Update 1.1. This makes a game that is fantastic at four and five players and makes it fantastic at two and three as well. So if you ever play this one at two using just the base game, you're like, wow, this feels way too open. I like this so much better at five. Well, get the status update 1.1 expansion and you'll find that you're having just as much fun as you are at five players. So the last one is probably the most controversial one here because I don't actually like the base game very much, but with the expansion, I like it. And that's what I was talking about earlier. If it makes a game that you think is bad into a game you want to play, hey, that's an essential expansion for you. And it is Zulkin, the Mayan calendar, tribes, and prophecies. So Zulkin by itself is the game of gears, right? And you're, you're, you're having to put down a worker somewhere, and then you have to wait a bunch of turns as the gears go around in a circle, for, and you'll take it off when you want to actually get that resource. To me, it's cool, but there's just a little bit of choice overload. There's a lot of things that you could be doing there, and I never know quite what to do. So Tribes and Prophecies, what it does is it gives you an asymmetric faction that you'll get to play with that actually starts you off with some resources, a la the Prelude expansion we talked about for Terraforming Mars. But So that gives you some direction as to what to do. But what it also does is gives you prophecies that you know ahead of time so that you know what you need to work towards. Because if you fulfill those prophecies, then you get points. But if you don't, then you lose stuff. So it's giving you direction in two ways. It's giving you something that you, your faction is particularly good at, and it's giving you these prophecies to work towards. And for me, it's just exactly what this game needed. Now I can understand what I need to do in this game. And so now it's all about using the mechanisms that I can now more appreciate in a way to get to those prophecies, in a way to use my faction to its fullest extent. It was actually pretty weird because the first time I played this game, it was with the expansion and I didn't even know it. I just thought that that was how the game was. So then the next time I played it with a group of people, I was, and it was just the base game. I was like, Where, where's my faction? What, what am I supposed to be doing? And I just kind of bounced off of it a little bit harder. And I've tried it again on BGA and I don't like it as much either. So again, that's a pretty essential expansion if you can take a game that I don't really want to play at all to a game that I am eagerly seeking out. And that is the Tribes of Prophecies expansion for Zulkan. So what do you think of our list? Do you agree or disagree with our picks? Do you agree with our definitions of good, great, and essential expansion? Well, leave a comment below or go let us know on Twitter and Instagram or email us at boardgamedojopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for watching today. As always, arigatou gozaimasu. Until next time, jane.